Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. What do you get when you combine a cloud service provider outage, one co-host recovering from illness, and the other recording from a parked car somewhere with only two bars on a mobile device? Not only a perfect setting for a discussion of tender mercies in Luke chapter 1, but an excellent commercial for a return to shepherd life, not just for our sake, but as Zacharias proclaims, with the sunrise, for the sake of the land. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 78 to 79. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 454 of the Bible as Literature podcast. In our parish Bible study, we have been working through Father Paul's most recent book, Decoding Genesis. And he spends a great deal of time in that project, Richard, talking about the importance of the Hebrew term hebdil. We spent some time hearing him explain it on his program on this series, Tarazi Tuesdays on the Bible as Literature podcast. But one of the things he points out in the story of Genesis is the way in which God disempowers the luminaries takes them down a notch in much the same way that every standing power in the Roman Empire in 1 Corinthians is taken down a notch in the New Testament. He undermines the sun and the moon, the meorot, the luminaries, but keeps them in place because of the importance of light later on in the storyline of the law, because he himself is the source of light, not the luminaries. I want to repeat that to make it clear. He keeps the sun and the moon, the meorot, in place to distribute light, but he undermines their position. They are not the source of light. This unfolds in the story of creation in Genesis, because he, Elohim, is the only source of light. And this important word, hebdil, which is to separate, to judge, which is God's function in Scripture, to separate light from dark, becomes critical with respect to God's instruction and the light of his wisdom, the separation of incorrect action from correct action according to the only reference, which is God's law, his Torah, 
This word hebdil becomes critical because you are judging according to the light which comes from the source of light, which is God. So references to the sun and the sunrise and light in the Gospels and in the Pauline letters all are connected to the importance of God, not the sun and the moon as the source of light, with this important qualification that the sun and the moon function just like a Roman patrician or a shepherd in the Old or the New Testament as someone who has been stripped of power but kept in a position of power, just like Zacharias in Luke chapter 1, in order to dispense the light in such a way that it is absolutely clear that they are not the source of light. So it's not a coincidence, then, here in this section of Luke, that Zacharias himself is talking about light and sunrise, because the sun, like Zacharias, is not the source of the teaching. This word, hivdil, to separate, this is an important word because it's used both in the context of separating the land from the sky, the firmament above from the firmament below, this kind of division that happens physically in the creation of the world. But then when it comes time for the Levites to make decisions about what is clean and what is unclean, they are also commanded to divide, hibdil, between what is correct and what is incorrect, what is holy and what is profane, what is clean and what is unclean. And this goes all the way back to Moses as the original recipient of the law from Sinai. So this distinction, this separation is something that's always happening. And even the medieval Jewish commentators saw a connection between the separation that happens in the waters in Genesis 1 with the separation of the waters that happens in the beginning of Exodus, which then leads to this separation which happens from the law at Sinai. They see a connection between these, which is much easier in Hebrew because it's the same word. There's no way to translate it in a way that's going to make sense in English, so you really do have to track it with the Hebrew, otherwise you can't follow it. This story that's been unfolding in Zechariah's speech about his son, about what his son is going to do, and his son is a mouthpiece. His son is not doing anything other than pronouncing the words that are put in his mouth, which are the words of salvation, the story of salvation, which were from the books of Moses, so to speak the initial Pentateuch of Scripture. So that's where the story of salvation comes. Last time we talked about the knowledge of salvation and why that's important. He doesn't just grant salvation, he grants the knowledge of salvation, because the story of salvation has already been written, and John the Baptist is then going to repeat that story as he was commanded. This is the way that the story unfolds. And so as we conclude this beautiful poetry that Zechariah is reciting, it all ends with the story of salvation in the hands of the listeners, or even better, in the ears of the listeners. So they understand what the nature of this salvation is, that it is, as you said, Father, it is this law, it is this teaching, which offers an opportunity 
to the hearer to follow on the correct way, on a way of safety, on a way of wisdom, on a way of knowledge, so that nothing can strike them, so that their enemies are not able to reach them, so that they are always protected by this law, by the only God who controls the enemies, who controls the forces of nature, even the heavens of the earth. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. So there it is, Richard. It's a reference to the sunrise from on high. It's not a reference to the sun, but the one who will visit you with the sunrise from on high, because he is the one who controls the luminaries. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west at his pleasure. He appoints the sun to rule by day and the moon to rule by night. He appoints them to control the seasons. And this stands in contrast with Caesar or Pharaoh who tried to control the calendar using the sun so that they could control farming in their respective empires. Whereas they wanted to control farming in order to abuse the land, Father Paul points out very clearly that the seasons and the time of meeting in the tent of meeting, Moed, was established by God's control of the luminaries so that during the time of festival, the land would be given a break from the abuse of the human beings. Completely different outcome. So this mercy is broad, and it's not just towards human beings. When you understand the functional connection the mention of the sunrise, the mention of light, when you hear it correctly in context of its itinerary, beginning in Genesis chapter 1, takes on a technical meaning that you cannot figure out just by hearing Luke. It's beautiful. So it is tender mercy. But God's tender mercy is not anthropocentric, but it includes the human being. And his mercy comes through the light of his instruction. But it's mercy not just towards us. Because the truth of the Lord, as the good book says, endures forever. The emotional splankna of his mercy is the topic here but it is the light that visits us. And one thing that Father Paul always emphasizes is that visitation can always be positive or negative. You know, do you want the light to be shining on your actions? This is the question. And the light is the light of God's tender mercy. And this is what is so damning to the human being because the human being is always trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. And those who are right, he overfavors, and those who are wrong, he overpunishes. Human beings don't know how to be just. Whereas God 
is showing this emotional mercy, eleus. But this is the light that's going to shine on the human beings. And this is what is, can be terrifying because what is it going to reveal? What is that light going to show? Is that light that John the Baptist is going to show through his word going to reveal goodness, is going to reveal wickedness, is going to reveal kindness, is going to reveal harshness? What is it going to reveal? And as we read scripture, as we hear scripture, we always have to understand that it is shining light on us. It's too bad when human beings want to use scripture as a way of showing what they're doing is correct. That's altering the light. That's putting a filter on the light. That's not allowing the light to shine. When that light shines, it's terrifying because it shows the truth of the matter. It shows what's actually happening. As hearers of this, we must be obedient so that it does reveal what is correct when it finally comes and shines. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here, it's all technically Torahic terminology. It is shining light to those who are under the shadow of ignorance of the law, ignorance of God's wisdom. Those who are trapped because they can't walk according to this wisdom, this knowledge, these precepts. They are in the shadow, under the shadow. They are sitting under the shadow of death. There's no hope of life for them because they've not had access to the source of light, which is this wisdom which comes from God's instruction, this discernment, this judgment. Again, this word hedil. No one is there to show them the difference between what is correct and what is incorrect, between light and dark, between life and death, not with their judgment. Remember, it is God who is the one able to hebdil, to judge between light and dark, because he is the source of light. He is the source of wisdom and instruction. We have to keep saying it, because to this day, I hear people talk about Father's teaching, or the bishop's teaching, or the professor's teaching. It is not so. If you are referring to anything that pertains to Scripture— or the scriptural God, it is God's teaching. If it happens to be the priest's teaching or your professor's teaching, then we have a problem. If it's the teaching of Zacharias or the teaching of John the Baptist, we have a problem. When you say that it is Paul's teaching, you can only speak this way when you understand technically that it is not Paul's teaching but it is the teaching of God the Father through Jesus Christ, wielded by Paul, who wields the Spirit in his letters. This is the light that shines upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to set them free 
from the shadow of death with the light of instruction to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, this peace does not mean that you will be set free from difficulty, conflict, misery, and so forth and so on. It means that you are given instruction so that you can walk halak, halaka. You can walk according to the correct instruction. You have light on the path. And you are at peace because you have no concerns or questions about what the mission is. You have clarity and you have accepted and you submit to that instruction and to what is correct. So that when adversity comes, when there are distractions or obstacles on the path, you are not distracted because you know where your foot is to step next. The fact that Jesus was at peace with the instruction of his father in the Gospel of Luke does not mean that this book doesn't end in crucifixion, which is hardly peaceful in human terms. But he was at peace and walking in the way of peace because he accepted and submitted to the light of his father's instruction. And that is what it means to halak correctly on the way of peace. As this light shines, it gives you a way of walking on the path. And so if you're in darkness, if you're in the shadow of death, it's because you're no longer in the light and it means you're no longer on the path. Now, this is the good news. God allows those who want to walk off the path, but even those who have already left the path, he offers a light and he offers a way for them to get back onto the path. This is the tender mercy. This is the kindness that God doesn't have to show that he does show. There is a way back to this path and to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace, you know, as Father Paul talks about a lot, the way of shalom. Shalom does not just mean peace as in the absence of strife, but also means shalem, which means to complete. It means the completeness. And so when everything has come to an end and everything is complete and everything is brought together and everything is at its apex, now this is where we are being led to. And so this is the kindness. Now, it's not the case that everyone is going to be saved or everyone is going to go to heaven and everyone, no matter what, is going to end up in this great spot. It's not true. If that were the case, then John the Baptist wouldn't have to speak because God has been speaking from his prophets since of old, and the message has been taught time and time again. You'd have to hear it once and then do it, and then you'd be on the path. But God, through his mercy, keeps reminding you that there is a path, that there is a salvation that he offers, and you can take it or leave it. And that is where life is, that is where light is, that is where one finds this completeness, the wholeness of God at the end of the path. This is where the path is leading. When one walks through the desert as a shepherd, one hit halech around, hit halech around, until you finally get to the oasis, and that is where life is. That is where the completeness is. That is where we complete our walk. This is where we complete our day. This is where we complete our quest. This is where we complete our needs 
so that all the sheep can feed and drink. Now, any sheep that wants to can go take another path, please. And the shepherd may or may not go after that sheep and help them come back to the rest of the flock. But when the shepherd does offer a way back for the sheep to come to the flock, this is the tender mercy. And this is how the shepherd, God, brings everyone back. And God here in this case is not going after the sheep himself. He found this baby, John the Baptist, and found this dad, Zecharias, and the dad is telling everybody about how his son is going to be employed in this work of bringing the word to those. And interestingly enough, John the Baptist himself will end up in the wilderness speaking to the lost sheep of Israel so that they have an opportunity to come back to the path through the same route that has always been, which is the route of Torah, which is the same route that got them through the Red Sea, which is the same Hebdeal that was taught at Sinai, so that you know which is the path to sand. You don't go on the right, you don't go on the left, you stay on the path the entire time. And this is how you reach the completeness, the peace of God. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.